Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. What a a special day in the church calendar and um, just a day we commemorate every week, the idea that Jesus is alive and we celebrate that through the the body and the blood at the table, uh, which we will share together in a few minutes. If this is your first time here, my name is Jeff, the lead minister here at New Garden, and today I have another day that I get to stand up here and talk about Jesus and about the Bible, and so I'm really excited. If you haven't been with us, we've been in a series this year about life is a garden, and if you're interested, just a reminder, you can go to our website, newgardenchurch slash 2022, and you can find all the stuff that we have been talking about. But like I said, today we're, we're kind of flipping the page a little bit. Um, last week we jumped ahead in the story to talk about Jesus and his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane leading up to this, this weekend of all kinds of events crammed together. Um, and it, it's every gospel seems to be you know, pushing the story forward until Jesus' last few days, his last week, his last hours, but ultimately kind of focused on his, his resurrection from the grave, which we will talk about today. And as you know, I, I really enjoy like scouring the Bible and making these what, what appear as obscure references, but really shed light on, you know, the New Testament and on other passages of Scripture. And so this week, man, I was like, just the pressure is on. Like any preacher knows, Easter and Christmas, you got to bring your A game, you know? Like people don't show up expecting mediocre, you know, we heard that last week. And it's a struggle because the topic is already chosen for you um, every year. And so some of you, you've heard about the resurrection the resurrection sermon every year. That's the only lesson that you hear. Um, there are other ones. You should go to our website and check them out. Um, so today, so this, this, I'd like the pressure has been on for the past couple of weeks about, man, what am I going to talk about? You know, there are garden connections that I could, I could draw on. Um, and then I just said, I just kind of took the, the pressure off and said, instead of trying to um, find those intellectual things, let, let me just sit and let God's story speak to me. And so this lesson is to me and for me, but I hope that maybe it helps you as well. Um, and so I just sat with the, the story this weekend, and, and a few things just kind of came to light. And so I want to share those with you, just some observations of the story. And so today's lesson is called Happy Resurrection Sunday. Okay, so we're going to go through a lot of P's. Um, but, but leading up to where we are today. So Jesus, he has spent about three years announcing the kingdom of God, healing and teaching a new way of life, one that is not about power and authority, but one that uses your power and authority to serve others. 
And so he says over and over, listen, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life a ransom for many. And so he teaches, he heals, he's bringing this kingdom ideal, this garden reality of where things are at peace uh, with the world and with each other and with God into his current reality. And he's trying to show his disciples what that life looks like. He comes into kind of uh, conflict with the religious leaders who have a system that you know, benefits them. And Jesus is disrupting that system. And so in the final week of uh, his ministry, he comes into Jerusalem during Passover week where 100,000 people would have descended on the city. It's bustling. They are there for the religious ceremonies and Jesus storms into the temple, turns over the table, stops everything in its tracks and, and starts that clock, that, that, that clock counting down to his crucifixion. Because at that moment, the, the tables are turned on him and, and the, the motion is set on the religious leaders taking it out on him. And so last week we found him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, God, I'm going to face this test. I don't want to, but not my will, your will be done. It's from there he's arrested. Uh, he's betrayed by one of his followers. He's arrested. He's taken into this midnight court where he is... Uh, unjustly tried, and they try to find people to, you know, say bad things against him, and nobody's stories line up, but eventually they take them, Jesus, before the Roman government and say he claims to be a king, and we have no king but Caesar. He is not our king. And so again, Jesus finds himself in front of the authorities, but having already passed the test and put his life and will under the Father, he's able just to stand silent in front of these, these other leaders. And so he's led He's convicted as guilty. He's actually offered a chance. The people are offered a chance between two people, between Jesus, Barabbas, Jesus, the son of the father, and Jesus, the Messiah. And who are they going to set free? So Israel faces another test and they say, we want to go our own way. And they choose the second Jesus instead of Jesus, the son of God. And so that guy is set free and Jesus takes on the sin of, of all people. And he is led to a cross where he's crucified and uh, he gives up his spirit. He, he, he's dead. He's put into a grave. And that's where we, we find the story today. And so, like I said, reading this story this week, there are five words that conveniently all start with P um, that I want to just highlight today. And those are presence, peace, proof, purpose, and promise. So what does the resurrection mean to me? And hopefully, what, what does the resurrection offer all of us? Okay, so we're going to read the end of John 19 and then chapter 20, which will give us John's account of what happens at the tomb. Later, after Jesus' uh, death, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb 
and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, so maybe a story we've heard many times. We've got a few different kind of versions, which each give a little bit different spin. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all give us a little bit different perspective on it. But, um, but from these, like I said, I find some just observations of what God offers us because of the resurrection. And the first thing that I see is the offer of presence. That Jesus, while the doors are locked, he shows up 
right? He is there with his disciples at the tomb. Mary is crying. She, she can't see well. She's got tears in her eyes. She looks and she can't tell who it is. And, and Jesus is there with her. Later on in Luke's account, they're on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples are on the road to Emmaus and Jesus shows up with them. And this is not anything new. This is the God that we've seen who takes walks in the garden, walks about with the humans, who walks with uh, Noah and who walks with Enoch and who, who shows up with people. In the burning bush, shows up to Moses and Moses has all of these questions, one of which is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I will be with you. And then God gives Noah or gives Moses his name. I share, I, yeah, I share. I am who I am. Um, and this is what you were to say to the Israelites. Yahweh has sent me to you. Later on, when Moses is passing the baton to Joshua, and Joshua is about to lead the people into the promised land, Moses says, Yahweh himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Later on in the story, you've got kings and prophets. One of those prophets is Elijah, who has these great moments of victory, but also has these great moments of self-doubt. And in one of these moments of self-doubt, Elijah goes and hides in this cave on the side of a mountain. And we read that Yahweh said to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of Yahweh. Yahweh is about to pass by. And a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks, but Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and goes out and stands. And Yahweh shows up and asks Elijah, what are you doing here? In a moment of need, Jesus shows up and offers just a word, Mary, and a question, who are you looking for? In, in a moment of, of questioning, God shows up to Moses and gives him this affirmation of, I am with you. In a moment of despair, God shows up in, not, not in a great and powerful way that you would expect, but in a gentle whisper. That one of the promises that we have throughout Scripture, and, and we see most purely in the life of Jesus, that Jesus is the perfect representation of God because he is God as a human. He promises us that he is with us, that we have the presence of God. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, that we have that offer of God's presence, that he will be with us. But besides presence, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus is present, it's interesting what Jesus offers first. In both cases, when Jesus shows up, they're like scared, right? And the first thing he says is, peace, peace be with you. It's like a, you know, when the principal walks in the room or somebody in authority walks in the room and you're trying to straighten your desk, you're trying to get things right because you're, you have that fear of what are they going to say? And they come and they just say, listen, don't worry. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to scare you. Like, peace be with you. Jesus, he, he shows up with peace after the cross, but before the cross, as he's, as he's going to the cross, he's getting his disciples ready for what's going to happen. And so he's giving them instructions. And in John chapter 14, he says, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, and I don't give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. 
Later on, Paul will write to churches in all different areas, going through all kinds of different stuff. But to the church at Philippi, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is present. He's with us. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That we have a connection to God, that we can present any need that we have, knowing he's with us and we can receive his peace. Paul will write to the Romans and say, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast not in our accomplishments, but in the hope of the glory of God. From Genesis chapter 3, we've been asking the question, who is going to be the snake crusher? Who is going to restore like this right relationship between us and God? And Paul says, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. That what, what any animosity, any disconnect that we had with God has now been replaced and been reconnected by faith in Jesus. And we now have peace with God. God is present with us. God offers us peace in our lives. But he also offers proof. Jen and I have two children, and they are completely different in so many ways. One is quite loud most of the time. One is rather quiet, you know. One loves Jesus. Just, I love Yahweh, I love you. We're we're going through the lows, you know, and she's just this little lot of, she's just singing. She doesn't care. She just loves Jesus, right? And the other one is just a thinker, you know? Why are you praying? You're talking to nobody. I can't see, I can't see it. God does all these great things. God is magic. Magic is not real, therefore God is not real. You're like, oh man, I'm a minister. And my child is like saying God is not real. Like how do I, how do I get across to this, this kid, right? One just has this, these feelings of, oh, I love God. And yes, I, I just know he loves me. And the other one is like, I just, I need, I don't understand. I need to know more. But one of the things that Jesus offers, it's not just words of saying, hey, just believe in me. But he shows up. Like, he's present, and he, he says, listen, t- touch me. I'm real. I was a real person. Thankfully, on Friday, like, everything was closed, right? And so we were able to say, listen, you're, you were out of school. The banks are closed. The post office, everything is closed because everybody recognizes 2,000 years ago, an event happened. Jesus, a real person, experienced real things. And the world recognizes that. The year is 2022 because Jesus was a real person. Jesus offers proof. He just says, stop doubting and believe. Later on on the road to Emmaus, he's going to meet with those two guys, and they're not even going to recognize who Jesus is. And they're, they're going to say, but you don't know what's going on. And they try to explain Jesus to Jesus. And he's like, you don't get it. And he starts at the very beginning, and it says, with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He's like, guys, the proof is right here. I've, I've, been, I've been talked about for thousands of years. Prophecy after prophecy, teaching after teaching, all find their fulfillment 
in me, whether you look in scripture, whether you look in your history book, whether you look in your heart, like Jesus is real and he is alive. And if some of us, we don't need all of the case for Christ proof, but some of us do. And for those of us who do, it's out there. Others of us, it's just like, man, I just know God loves me because of what he did for me. God is present. God offers his peace. God offers proof. Um, He also offers purpose. Like, why are we here? What is life all about? What are we supposed to be doing? In Matthew's account, Matthew ends his gospel with a commission, the great commission. So Jesus came to them after his resurrection, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I, I am that, again, that Genesis 1, heaven and earth reunited. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you guys, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And again, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But this is not the only command that we are supposed to follow. This is part of it. Because Jesus has ascended to this place of prominence, he is the king sitting at the right hand of God, we need to go tell people about that. But we also need to live out that that reality in our own lives. And so he'll say to his uh, apostles, he'll say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know, so much of my growing up, it was all about the Great Commission. Go and tell, go and tell, go and make, go and make, go and do, go and do. And there wasn't a huge focus on go and be, go and bear live it out. Don't just say it out. You're supposed to, you know, ring out the message. Yes. But one of the the things we also have to balance is living that out, bearing the fruit of being connected to the vine and of Jesus, planting our roots like Psalm 1 people, meditating on God's word and allowing that to come into our lives so that what comes out of us is the fruit of the Spirit. So God gives us his presence. God gives us his peace. He gives us proof He gives us a purpose. And then the last thing that I could think of, I could probably think of more, is this promise. Now, if we looked at all the promises of God in the Bible, we would be here probably till next Easter, right? All of these covenants, all these promises, these, I will be with you, these, um, I will forgive you, I will be your God, you will be my people, all of these promises. Jesus promised his disciples, listen, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to be back, right? I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be orphaned. You don't have to worry. In fact, I'm going to leave a deposit guaranteeing this called the Holy Spirit. And this is the promised presence of God living in your life, producing fruit, connecting you to the vine. But ultimately, this promise is going to be fulfilled, which is our great hope. That when Jesus walked out of the grave, the Bible says he was the first fruits of the coming harvest. And it's actually a celebration that that the Jews do. These first fruits that they give to God is a way of saying, God, I'm going to take the first of my harvest, I'm going to give it to you, anticipating what you are going to then do after that. 
The Bible says Jesus is that first fruits. He is the first resurrected body. He is this first heaven and earth reality that this, uh, this human and forever being combined. That someday that's going to be us. The dead in Christ will rise. We will receive a new resurrected body. We will be living in a new heaven and earth reality. And, and it's going to be great. And this is the vision that John has. And this is how he ends his vision in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. So if we remember in the garden, there's a stream that rises up and waters the garden and goes out to water all of the earth, this this stream, this water that gives life. But now instead of it coming from the garden in Genesis 1, now we find it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So this water is coming out of the throne of God and the Lamb. It's down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Like, on each side, are there two trees? What, is it one tree that's like split that comes up and the river goes under it? Like, what's going on here, John? And, you know, it's, it's drawing, again, on so many, like on this side and the other side, where God, he splits the water on this side and the other side, and the people are delivered through. You've got Jesus on the cross, one on one side and one on the other. Which if you remember of all the trees in the garden, there was one tree, the tree of life, in the middle of the garden. And so it's like this reflection of Jesus is this tree of life in the middle of all of the other trees. But now this tree is, is on each side of this river coming out, this tree of life, and it's bearing 12 crops of fruit, this symbolism of completeness, the 12 tribes of Israel. This tree is producing life, and not just one kind of life, but an abundant kind right? Yielding its fruit every month. There's no off season. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Have we been waiting for that moment since Genesis chapter 3? And now it's the reality. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. Now, I always worried about this, like, when do I nap? When, you know, like, when do I sleep? I, I enjoy rest. But I think this is a picture. Again, remember, verse 1 in Scripture, we have darkness covering the chaotic waters. In other places, John will say, there's no more sea. The sea is gone. The chaos waters are gone. There's no more darkness to worry about. Everything that was worried on page one, it's, it's nothing to worry about in this promised fulfillment. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The promise we have are, again, to be co-rulers with God in this restored creation, ruling and reigning with a God who is present with us, a God who is giving us his peace, and we will live into that. A God who offers proof, whether it's the the creation he has made for us to enjoy or the people around us who reflect his image or the historical books that you can go back and find the data or what what everything hinges on. The fact that 2,000 years ago, a man who had been dead 
for three days, walked out of a grave. And he showed up in a room, through a door, and he came and said, I am alive again. And I'm alive to give you a reason to keep on living, to live with me, because I promise you I'm coming back. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, but I want you to be ready and I want you to be excited. Like when, when the grandparents show up at my house, are Papa and Gigi here yet? Like looking out the window, like looking out the door. Let's get everything ready. Let's, we're anticipating their arrival. And that's how we're supposed to live each day. And today is just that yearly reminder, that annual rhythm that God has given us to remember Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And each week we go to a table and we take the, the bread, which represents his body on the cross. We take the blood, which represents his blood shed on the cross. But today, man, I think it would be okay for it to represent his resurrected body and to re rep represent his resurrected blood, which continues to cover us today. So as we go to the table, let us remember Jesus is alive. Let me pray for us and we'll stand and we'll go to the tables. Father, I thank you for all that you've done. From page one of scripture, as we wait for the fulfillment to the last page of your return and your forever reign, that we will co-rule with you. And God, today, I don't know where everybody is. I know where I am. And I know I need every single one of these promises. I, I need your presence. I need your peace. Sometimes I, I need the proof that you offer, God. God, I need a purpose in my life, and, and I need a promise to hold on to. So as we go to the table today, whatever it is that we need, I, I find we find that fulfillment in you, and that we take your body, we take your blood, and we remember how much you love us, and that you are alive, you are alive indeed. And it's through the name of Jesus, the one who is alive, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and go to the table together. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.